0: Welcome to the Deep Banking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen, I'm Phil Dobby and today, is there a case for full reserve banking? After a question from one of our listeners, we thought it was a good time to have a look at who gets to create money in this economy and whether it needs to be regulated more. Now, I might be on dodgy territory here, but my understanding of fractional reserve banking is that banks loan out more than they have deposited with them. So their deposits are only a fraction of the loans they issue. But, I mean, that means there's an element of risk, isn't there? I mean, if the if the banks don't hold to be enough fraction, Steve.
1: Oh, dear. <laughs> have we got off to a bad start? Yes, we have. And the reason is because you quoted the textbook happening and the textbook is wrong, wrong, right. wrong, cool. wrong, wrong. Well, there we are. I, I <laughs> just, it, it's not just that I've, I, you know, it's, I, can, I have to quote the Bank of England. Thank God I can quote the Bank of England on that these days because it used to be a case of having to turn to um, non-Orthodox economists who actually understood what was going on, um, but they were a minority, of course, and now I can turn to the Bank of England, which is a bit has got no balls, Behind it equally also even the bundesbank fractional reserve banking does not exist You're right it is a textbook model which is a fallacy and this is one of the most frustrating things for me um not just in terms of dealing with um conventional economists which of course is always a frustrating experience uh, but even with the public as well because they've swallowed this myth as to uh, what causes trouble in the banking sector and it doesn't happen it simply can't happen um
0: and, um, so why, so why the, why the myth then? So I mean, that, so what, or maybe it's just people getting uh, the, the wrong end of the term. So I mean, we. No,
1: no, it's a myth. It's actually a myth. I mean, it's partly all this. I actually had a discussion with somebody on Patreon uh, today um, on this very point. And what what gets confused, and I can understand the confusion happening. It's because, Well, people
0: people think it's... banks lend out more than they have. Yeah, and they do. Which
1: means they can't be lending it out of something which is which has got a, a fixed size, of, which is the reserves, um, because you're going to lend out more than you've got. Where the hell do you get it? You don't get it from where you've got it at the moment. You've got to be making it somehow, and you can't make it out of reserves. So this is the, 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 I've got to go right back and start talking something very very boring. So go get a cup of coffee, everybody. Oh, yeah. uh, it's accounting, and we have th- we 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 divide um, <clears throat> every 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 asset for somebody is a liability for somebody else. So that in the aggregate, the sum of all assets and all liabilities in financial terms is zero uh, across the entire planet. But individuals can have assets greater than liabilities, so long as other other entities have liabilities greater than assets. Now, if you subtract your assets from your liabilities, you get your equity, and one uh, which is sometimes called capital. And that also is partly where this confusion comes mm-hmm. from. And the gap between assets and liabilities are your, is your net worth. Now, for banks, banks have to. Uh, by, by effectively by the definition of a bank, banks have to have positive equity. Their assets have to exceed their liabilities. If um, during a, as happens during a financial crisis, if the value of assets plunges, and stock market crash occurs, or uh, bonds get written off, uh, or you can't you can't uh, you have to terminate loans. In that situation, the assets can plunge. The liabilities remain constant. Because it depends on other people. Yeah. Other people have control over your liability side. You can have negative equity, and that's what sends you bankrupt. Uh, so a bank has to have positive equity. Now, what then happens is banks, when they when they are first formed, imagine you have a bank. You, you say you had you had, a, you, had a, you know you, you you put the hat around a few friends and you raised a billion dollars, and you then um, got uh, some poor clerk and lawyer to draft a, uh, the documents necessary to become registered as a bank. And you therefore start with a billion dollars in equity, no assets and no liabilities. Mm -hmm. You make your first couple of loans to a couple of friends, you know, a few billion dollars there, a few billion dollars there. Let's say you've got up to $10 billion worth of loans. Those $10 billion worth of loans create $10 billion worth of deposits and you're at that stage, the ratio of your equity, which is a billion, to your loans is 10 to 1. And that's pretty much the level that banks tend to operate at. They're highly levered institutions. So,
0: so, so it's that yeah. 10 to 1 type ratio. To do with their reserves. Right. Okay. All right. So it's just your capital. It's, it's the capital reserve rather. It's the
1: capital you leave and not the reserves. Now, what people make the mistake of thinking they leave are the reserves somehow. And this is where the textbook gets it wrong. And I can quote the Bank of England and the Bundesbank on that front to anybody who thinks the textbook can't be wrong. Yes, they can. Um, and, and the, the textbook myth is the government, uh, creates money. By say giving money to a doll recipient, and the doll recipient takes that that paper check. If you go back to the days of paper checks for this sort of stuff, uh, goes back to the uh, to the to the bank and deposits that paper check in a bank account, and then let's say it's a hundred hundred dollars extra. Then the bank, the, the what what the the mythical money multiplier model triple M, the mythical money multiplier model. Actually, hang on—it's it's four quadruple M, mythical money multiplier model. Okay, that, what have you that, been
0: drinking? Good to what, what are you what are you on today? I'm in
1: Amsterdam. Be <laughs> careful. Uh,
0: um, where was I? You on the uh, the triple the quadruple
1: M quadruple M quadruple M? Okay, there's not no, no intoxicating. The only thing i can see this morning is coffee. Okay, but you got me wired. I think I've had to to three or four coffees so far today, so I'm a bit on the wired side. So the mythical money multiplier model argues that the government sets some ratio between the reserves that banks have on hand, which is one of their assets. Mm-hmm. It's a non-income earning asset as well. The, the, the model says they set a ratio between the reserves and their deposits. And you, if for every deposit of, of $10, you must put aside $1 of that in reserve. So, yeah. uh, and, and then you, if you get to the stage where your um, deposits are... are not ten times your reserves. You can't lend any more money, right? Unless you get more reserves. So that's ha, the model. Right. Okay. It but, is but,
0: false. Ha, but okay. So because you're you're calling that 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 billion dollars that you had in that example you gave. So I had a billion dollars and I lent out ten billion dollars. Mm-hmm. That's not a reserve, then. That's my. You're no, saying that's my. That's it, my. It's, it's my leveraging ca- your equity. Right. Okay. Cool. Which is what banks do. And now, I have it, to keep that just in case everyone all of a sudden there's a run on my bank. I've got to and uh, I've got to make sure I've got ten percent of that money. So I no. Can, no, right. no, 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 no. <laughs> cool. Well, at least we're getting um, this sorted out. What,
1: what, what happens is you've, because, because the banking is not understood by the banking regulators, uh, there's a handful who do, but the ones who set the policy don't understand the system, uh, what they've what has happened is because they all well, done economics degrees instead and swallowed these stupid textbooks. Um, they put the controls on the reserves as if the as if the reserves are the limit on your lending. It's not. It's your equity position which is the limit. Now, therefore, what they've got is no controls over the equity side. So, if a bank is quite conservative in its business operations, it might work on a equity gearing of equity to um, loans gearing. Let's say of eight eight to one. Right. So that one billion worth of equity, they might be willing to put out $8 billion worth of loans, and then you'd need 12% of those loans to go bad before you'd wipe out all your equity. Uh-huh. You know, if, if, you have, if, if $1 billion of the loans went bad, or if you lost $1 billion worth of um, assets on the, um, in terms of valuation of shares and stuff like that on the bank portfolio, then you'd go to zero equity and you'd be in big trouble. Uh, but that's pretty hard. That's a very large downturn. Now, what happens during a bubble like the dot-com bubble and the, uh, the subprime bubble and so on is that banks get more and more adventurous in how much leverage they're willing to take on. And we know from the, the records of the financial crisis in 2008 that companies like Morgan Stanley and so on, which actually operate as banks and form, you know, formed um, you know, the Bank of America, uh, other, other banks of that nature, they got to the stage of having ratios of virtually 30 to 1. No. What that means is a small fall in the stock market would be enough to wipe out their equity base. And there's quite a – it's funny in, in hindsight, it wasn't particularly funny at the time, but I think it was Morgan Stanley, the chief executive of Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs, it may have been Goldman Sachs, got in touch with the then Treasury Secretary of America who was uh, Hank Paulson, who used to, of course, be a leading manager in Goldman Sachs. And um, – he was saying, look, you've got to really do something During the, when the crisis really hit badly it, towards the end of 2008, I think it was, roughly August, a year after it began, but say, when it got really, really serious about August 2008. Gave Hank Paulson a call and said, you've got to do something. We're about to go bankrupt. And he said, well, how long have you got? And he said, about three hours. <laughs> now, what was happening is, literally, I'm not joking, uh, the stock market was falling that rapidly. Yeah. The valuation of the shares was one of the assets the banks, they'd say, they say it was Goldman Sachs. Uh, I could be wrong on that front, but I'd like to be right. Um, let's say that it was Goldman Sachs and they were watching the stock market plunge, and they knew that the rate the plunge was going on uh, within three hours, that that rate of plunge kept up, their assets would have fallen enough in value to be less than the liability. They would therefore have to declare bankruptcy.
0: Right. Okay?
1: Now that's that's so. That's what. So then that, that is unregulated. That is allowed to be any right. level you like,
0: and hence it goes the other way. Of course, so if they yeah. take that one billion and say, "Well, let's magically turn that one billion into a billion. Uh, thirty
1: billion," let's, let's not go quite that far. 30 okay. Well, thirty
0: billion, then that's that's a lot of extra cash which people are then investing, and they're probably investing in things like equities. So it is pushing up the uh, pushing up yeah, the share it's market. A, it's
1: a it's a positive feedback loop that gives mm-hmm. you expansion and contraction and the valuation of assets and that's fund- one of the fundamental causes of instability in a capitalist economy is that being there and while we're all currently trying to control uh by using reserves which play no bloody role whatsoever right um so it's i mean it's a bit like imagine the captain of the titanic which is a pretty good analogy and you've decided oh my god we're about to hit an iceberg quick somebody go and uh, and order some croissants
0: so Order
1: it's so it's the ratio of the, it's, you'll crash. <laughs> yeah, but ordering cross is the fact that we're boat to change direction because the weight distribution in the kitchen uh, means we. Oh come on! You are but fundamentally you, it's a model like that.
0: You are smoking something. Awesome yeah, how, you have been smoking something. So the um, so the um, so the asset. So it's really the it's not like an asset ratio. It's the ratio of how much you're lending out to the assets that you're holding. It's uh, how
1: much, it's a net worth ratio, right? What you're creating in loans compared to what your net worth is as a bank?
0: Right. Okay. Cool. The and it seems like if there's no control on that, it seems like there should be, shouldn't there? Because I would have yeah. thought this is a really very important controlling influence on the how the economy works, because it will have a direct influence on how much investment is being made, and therefore uh, you know how how much growth the economy is. Seeing. It
1: would be better to have a control on that than on the reserve ratio. That's that's the point. And but what people because we had a false model of how banks actually lend the controls are on the reserve ratios where they exist and of course about there's about 20 or so us talk at the 20 or 30 major economies around the world most of them no longer have any reserve ratio controls and the ones that do the reserve ratios are a joke mm. but people who 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 are I mean critics of banking sector blaming the banking sector quite rightly for the financial crisis and all this sort of jazz because they swallowed the textbook version and say oh we've got to get rid of fractional reserve banking and say mate it doesn't exist
0: yeah
1: you can 't get rid of what doesn 't exist, and what they what they 're talking about doing is the faculty is instituting a form of fractional reserve banking because the proposals that people like positive money have and by the way i 'm on the advisory board in the u k and i 'm very fond of the people who uh, run that organization so i 'm slightly critical of their proposals but i I think they 're doing mar- marvelous work they they understand the banking system they know what we've i 've discussed just right now, and we 've still got to talk about why. Brack Reserve Banking doesn't actually exist, but Mm. let's go to the proposals that people are making to replace the current system with something where banks can't create money. What they're talking about doing is effectively turning banks from uh, equity-driven institutions into effectively what building societies used to be, where you had to have a certain pot of money out of which you lent to people who uh, wanted to take out building loans, and that money had to be replenished to enable the next building loan to occur. Uh, The proposals of positive money are to give uh, banks reserve accounts which they currently have uh, at the central bank, but require them to lend from that account. So, as as each loan went, each one each one pound loan would mean a one pound fall on the reserves, uh, because what you're doing is being a, effectively a, a transfer between two liabilities. You have a liability to the central bank. Uh, you have uh, you've got both an asset and a liability of the central bank. So your reserves are and are an asset you have on the bank of the, of the on the uh, ledger of the central bank. Yeah. They're also a liability that you have on your own accounts. And when you you can lend from one liability account to the other. So if you somebody comes along for a loan, you know, let's say Phil Dobby wants to buy a house in Bath and wants a million pounds for it. Then a million pounds gets transferred out of the liability account, the reserve liability account, into your account, and there's one million less that can be lent to anybody else. And then the amount in that account is determined by government decisions or a committee of uh, experts' decisions to top up the accounts, reserve accounts of banks over time. So the growth of the available money supply is determined by a government decision rather than by private banks. That's the sort of proposal that positive money has.
0: Right. So, can, okay. can I, let me, let me play the, uh, the, the dumb fool on this, which I, I can, I can do very well, because I need to make sure I, well, I fully understood when we were talking about that one billion and that, you know, expanding yeah. to, to 30 billion. I completely understand as well the importance mm-hmm. of, of what that ratio is, because that has some, so, so much of an influence. It seems to me yeah. that controlling that can have a, have, have a big influence on, on how the economy works. Hmm. So, how does that relate to when we're talking? But their but their assets we're talking about. So, how does that one billion that I have that I started with relate to reserves?
1: Well, so reserves are created by um, either the central bank making a loan to the private banks, yeah. or buying buying assets off the central bank in return for giving them cash. So that one, like, so that one billion
0: could have come from this. Could have come. No, from that the one
1: billion side. is irrelevant, right? Okay. Okay. They're, they're totally irrelevant. <laughs> um, if, you, if you look at um, it, uh, banks at the moment, um, imagine, imagine you've got a billion dollars in, equi- in, in equity of the bank, no assets and no liabilities. Yeah. If somebody comes along to the bank and deposits 100 pounds in the account, then the assets of the bank rise, the liabilities rise by 100 pounds because if the person comes back and wants the money back, the bank has to return that money to them. The liabilities increase by 100 pounds and the reserves increase by 100 pounds as well. Yeah. So the, the reserves, and the, in fact, the reserves would be cash that is stored at the central, it's cash that is stored at the bank's own vault, or right. they could be a, you know, an account. If it's an account, a check transfer, then it's an account entry on the uh, private bank's accounts at the central bank.
0: Makes no influence on the assets that I'm holding as a bank, because that's well,
1: a- it increases the assets, but it doesn't change the equity. Right. Okay. Okay. Because if it puts both assets and liabilities up by exactly the same the amount, map. the equities yeah. don't change. Yeah. Now, what people make the mistake of believing is that when that hundred dollars is, hundred pounds is deposited, the bank hangs on to ten pounds of it and lends out another ninety. And then that ninety gets deposited in another bank and that, that bank hangs on to nine pounds of it and lends out eighty one, et cetera, et cetera. And through this magical process, you, and I lose the word magical quite seriously because it would be magic if it actually happened. Uh, you create a thousand pounds worth out of, out of a, out of a hundred pound
0: deposit. Right. Now it simply doesn't happen because, because um, all that money is going to go into another bank account where you're going to have that. It just basically
1: circulates. Yeah, it's, yeah. you see, the banks can't lend out reserves. And this is, this is why I've got to go through double entry bookkeeping here. So anybody, it's time for that second cup of coffee or maybe the second croissant, um, to, to cover the logic. Because if you imagine the bank does try to lend from reserves and that's how it's expressed, then reserves have to fall. Now reserves are an asset. If you try to directly uh, have a that fall in assets somehow affecting liabilities. You can only have a fall in the assets if liabilities also fall. So if reserves go down by um, ninety quid, which is the, the usual argument, so do your liabilities. Mm. You have to okay. Now that's not when you only want to when you want to give somebody a loan. You're actually increasing your liabilities, so you can't do it that way. So another way you might try doing is say, well, let's actually take. We've got a hundred pounds in um, in our uh, reserve assets let's transfer 90 of that to our loans okay so you have the assets the reserves go down by 90 loans increase by 90 now where the hell does that turn up that doesn't affect your that doesn't affect your net assets the assets don't change it doesn't affect your liabilities as well you've now recorded some poor bugger owes you 90 pounds but you haven't given them 90 pounds so what's actually happened is that when the depositor comes in with the 100 pounds you hang on to literally 10 10 quid notes let's say uh, you, you you put one of them aside and somebody else comes in for loan and you give them nine of the 10 quid notes and they walk out the door with that 90 quid in physical paper. And then what that meant is, oh, you give me 90, uh, that's in cash. It's not recorded on your books. So then in terms of my personal accounts, I know I now have that I've got a, a debt to the bank of 90 pounds, which is the liability. I've got an ass- asset of cash you've given me. Um, therefore, yes, reserves have gone down and, and loans have gone up. No money creation. That's the trouble. See, the theory says there is some money creation happening here. There isn't. Right. But then what happens if the person with the 90 quid says, oh, well, uh, I took it out. I got a loan from Lloyd's and they're um, you know, they're charging me 3% on the loan and these uh, uh, mad kahunas down the road are offering a 4% deposit rate. I might take my 90 quid and put it in there and get an arbitrage gain. So you take your 90 quid out, you deposit back in, uh, in uh, Volcano Bank down the road and what happens is... The 90 quid that uh, Lloyd's account has gone down by is completely offset by the 90 quid that uh, Volcano accounts go up by. So reserves at the aggregate level have played no part in lending. The loan has been created by uh, Lloyd's. The money has been put back into um, uh, Volcano Bank's accounts. The aggregate amount of money has gone up by 90 pound, which is the size of the loan, but reserves have played no role. Reserves have not changed.
0: So how is money, extra money, created then? It, uh, it, it's only created it, by what you're describing. Doesn't that mean the, it, can't, it can't be created by high street banks? It can only come from the know, central bank?
1: No, no, it can be created by high street banks. It only can be created by high street banks. Not It can't be created by building societies and so on because with a high street bank, you have a license to take deposits. Now, yeah. taking deposits is actually the obverse side of what you actually want, which is what you want the ability to create a loan. If you, uh, uh, if you're a, a low street bank, let's say, like what used to be called a building society, you could only lend out of an account
0: you already had. Yeah, okay? so yeah, yeah. You, had
1: a, you had a billion inside there. You could lend a billion,
0: and that's it. So we're back. Uh, we're, we're back to this one. This one billion that I've created. Yeah, that, yeah. I've created the The, the thirty, the, 30 yeah. billion but, from. But, yeah,
1: but with, but with a with a um, with a building society, the one billion is money they gather from the public, which goes into account, which is is still the public's asset. And they can only circulate that money, so they can lend it out of that liability account to no, another liability account. But with a with a high street bank, they've got the right to create money out of that out of that the um, le- banking license, and to be able to execute that, then they have to be able to increase their assets and increase the liabilities at the same time. And you can only do that if you have deposit accounts, because otherwise you can't change your liabilities that way. So the the role of deposits is actually to Activate the
0: capacity to create money by creating loans. So, I think part of the confusion is, is, is in the terminology, isn't it? So, we've got to, yeah, we've, it is, we, yeah. so a question from Arjun who says, Why don't you recommend a full reserve banking system instead of fractional reserve? There'll be much less debt in such a system and a smaller role for central banks. So, what he's actually asking is rather than uh, 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 fractional reserves, he's really saying, Why shouldn't all banks be like building societies? Yeah, other, exactly. In a, in that's, a-
1: that's what it really comes down to. And that is the proposal that Positive Money's put forward to make banks into effectively like building societies. And if you think about it in, in, in terms of standard type of economic thinking uh, or business thinking, that means that banks would only be able to make a profit out of the margin between loan rates and deposit rates.
0: Yeah. So they would have to have a, a hundred the, the, the assets of the bank would be a hundred percent the value of the loans.
1: In sort of. Yeah, there yeah. are other assets standing up there as well. But yeah, they'd be the, 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 the real story is that they would have an account out of which they can lend, and when that is exhausted, they can't lend anymore. So there's more control over the level of lending, uh, and that's, that's the appeal of, of something like a Positive
0: Money's Proposal. But that um, would slow down. I mean, at least initially, would I? Mean, we would day one of introducing that system, it would be rather transformational, but uh, uh, because it would slow down GDP. I guess in the long term, it would uh, the, the economy would just balance itself out. But well, it would- well
1: the argument the argument that they make is that they would then hand over the money creation role to the government because they're saying at the moment what private banks are doing is creating that money to finance asset speculation. Mm. So you know, the, the basic um, parameters that positive money states, which are fairly accurate, is that 97% of money is created by private banks, only 3% is created by the government, uh, whether that's directly by the central bank or through uh, um, the government spending more than it gets back in taxes uh, in terms of f- fiscal policy. Um so 97% of money is created by the private banks and about 85% of that is to finance asset purchases not to finance goods and services purchases. Yeah, yeah. So the vast majority actually inflates the asset market and that money
0: creation is a byproduct of an asset bubble. So I can I mean I can see it you know the, the one of the attractions of this sort of approach if in effect all banks were just behaving like building societies is that it would uh, it would break down the uh, the control that the bigger banks have got because you know in effect anyone could do it. I could I could start the dobby bank uh, if I had a bit of you know a bit of cash behind me for, you know, for the assets for this business, but by and large, it's just a marketing exercise. You just need to get that money in to be able to send it out again.
1: Well, no, you don't. You've got to, What you've got to do is get a group of friends together, um, health preferably wealthy ones, who can put up enough equity <coughs> that they put that in buying company shares. That creates the money you need to show to the central bank that you have the financial backing before you can start a private bank. Right. But once you've done it, you've got it. You've got a capacity. Effectively, you get to turn that, say, if you raised a billion dollars, to turn that into 10 billion uh, and then an interest on the the 10 billion, which if you're looking at about a 3% net interest margin, you're getting, you know, 30, you're getting 10%, you're getting 3% on 10 billion, which is a pretty fair return on a billion dollars in. But right. You're
0: getting three hundred billion turnover. Right now, and you got that, me confused again because I thought the idea of building societies was they were only lending out what they had in, basically.
1: Yeah, there are two different ways of going about it. If you're a building society and you lend, you lend out what you have in, that's it. But with a with a private bank, you get the equity basis to enable you to take deposits. Now, what is, what a building society can't do is issue deposits. Right. When you get a when you get a building society uh, check, a, a check, you know, a check account of the building society, that is actually. Um, your share of a account the building society helps suffer with another bank, and when the loan comes out, it's transferred from the building society's account at a ba- that bank to your account at that bank to give you uh, actual cash.
0: Right, but this so, gets, so this question from Arjun though is he's really asking yeah. you know bank, a banking system where uh, again he says why wouldn't you recommend a full reserve banking system instead of a fractional reserve? So we say, well yeah. okay, well, te- te- tem- terminology is wrong yeah. on that on yeah. that.
1: Yeah, so the, the reason I would I'm not a fan of the idea of entirely going over to, to uh, full reserve banking is that, first of all, that would mean that banks could only make a profit out of the price margin uh, of their operation. They couldn't make it out of the volume side. Now, that, given that most of the volume is involved in inflating asset market, that wouldn't be a bad thing in its own right, but the profitability of banking would plunge. And in doing that, you wouldn't necessarily have banks providing the sort of money you want for uh, working capital for firms or funds for entrepreneurial investment and so on, there would be potentially a, a serious disturbance in how well the money system worked, um, which, I mean, the, the scale of change is huge, in mm. other words. And, and I'm worried that in doing it, uh, you'd have a financial crisis coming out of it which would be blamed on the banks for once but on the government deciding to take the power of creating money away from the banks let's give it back to the banks again it's it's something I'm worried about the politics of, of doing it uh, and the transition being as shocking as it could be um, because suddenly you take away not uh, you know a few percent of the banks uh, potential sources of margins, but 90 percent of that set of margins. while they've still got the same cost structure so that to me is a, is a huge issue in transitional terms and if you did it um what would also happen is you wouldn't uh, you, you might you'd have banks being even more cons- conservative about entrepreneurs than they currently are so at yeah. the moment you know, like i've i've had a personal example recently where one of my sisters wanting to start a business she had the land she had the idea the bank wouldn't give her the money because she didn't have any assets against which they could you know not not wealthy and not uh, yeah, high-value enough assets that they'd give her a loan. It was all collateralized lending, yeah. which so, I've given her the loan. Mm. Uh, and then when the thing is built, she can get, go to the bank and say, the bank, oh, now we'll give you a loan against the collateral. So that'll be a, an indirect way of creating the money. Um, but they're still being very, very conservative about lending to entrepreneurs or new businesses when that's what you want them to do. Now, if you go to the full reserve banking, it's even worse on that front because um, the only uh, choice they've got, the only income they're going to see is that and interest rate margin, not increasing, creating money and making money out of that margin. So again, back to that billion pound, billion dollar example. If you have a existing bank and they get a billion dollars down, then they can create, let's say, safely ten billion dollars worth of loans out of that. Charge three percent interest on ten billion, get three hundred million uh, profit. Uh, per year on a $1 billion investment with 30% rate of return, which is fairly encouraging to being in banking. Uh, but if you, on the other hand, say with that billion dollars, dollars you can only lend a billion dollars, then if you lend out a billion dollars, uh, you 3% return is $30 billion, and it's so much lower that you were going to be very careful about losing any of that money, and you might have even less lending to entrepreneurs and to firms than you currently have. So mm. I would want to have some sort of offset on that front. I would. Uh, the only offset you can have in that model, as it stands, is the government has to create lots of money. Now, if that leads to you know, inflation taking off, uh, as well as not enough money being lent to corporations for investment anyway, so it's all uh, you know, money—the classic old story: too much money chasing too few goods. Uh, bang, you have a, a financial, a different form of financial crisis coming out of it. But that comes along. And guess who are going to come back and say, look, it was all going fine when we were doing it? The banks.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm just. about
1: the political sustainability of doing it.
0: So d- just on that terminology then of full reserve banking. So I oh. thought, I thought the conversation we were having was that fr- fractional reserve banking is misunderstood because we were talking about banks lending against reserves when in fact they're oh. really lending. Against the assets that they have, a multiplier of the, of the equity, uh, of the the equity that yeah. they have. Sorry, a multiplier of the equity. So fractional reserve banking doesn't really exist. So full reserve banking uh, as a terminology wouldn't exist either in that case, would
1: it? Well, it, it would in that sense because then you'd be re- then saying, then okay, the the, the textbook thinks you can only lend to reserve, which is wrong, mm. but we're going to redesign the reserve so they are what you learn from.
0: Right. Okay. okay. Cool.
1: And that that so so fractional reserve banking doesn't exist. Full reserve banking could exist.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, so his question makes a bit more sense now final question then so what about the approach taken by islamic banks so in islam you can't uh, charge interest on a loan so what happens with islamic banks is they take a percentage of a company's profits until a loan is repaid that's in effect and i've heard you talking about this before banks making investments in companies
1: yeah, and that's what I would, I mean, frankly, that isn't very often done in Islamic banking and mm. there's often lots of little ways to disguise it, but that's what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about risk sharing. Yeah. So if you have a bank making a loan to a from a standard Western bank, then they get an interest charge and the interest charge is due whether or not the venture succeeds.
0: And that's because, you know, that's because it's in the book. By the way, it's in the Bible as well that you should not uh, make, make interest out of a loan. Uh, mm. So we're not good Christians in the banking sector.
1: Yeah, yeah. And was the, in that sense, the Islamic system is hanging on to the, um, all the usual, the their the, the is extremely strong on not lending an interest, whereas the uh, um, the Jewish book, funnily enough, the Torah, is okay, not Torah, pardon me, uh, Deuteronomy, is okay about lending to, non, to non-Jews. non <laughs> So they think were a large part of the whole money lending, in Shiloh Castle actually began, is back in those differences in in, in ancient texts going back two and a half thousand years.
0: But anyway, that's, that's, that's an aside. But, is it, but, but it's a, it's a, it, in a way, it's a better approach. I'm just wondering how you fit that into the model.
1: Well, I have done it in the model, funnily enough, and it, and it led to a financial crisis just like it did with the, um, the pre-banking because what actually matters is the capacity to create money that banks still have in that situation. Mm. And those, that creation of money is, is done by taking out loans, which give you a charge against the assets of the borrower. Now, that charge can grow even in a system where the bank is sharing the risk. And so this, the simplest level of the Islamic banking itself is not enough. You also need to have the tithing component in there so that the bank recirculates part of what it gets out of lending back into the community again uh, to try to dissipate that, that concentration of wealth that comes out of the capacity to create money. So there's no easy solution to this. It's my my preferred way of going about it, and I'm still definitely open to discussion on this, would be to give banks the right to effectively do the type of Islamic lending uh, that we, we talk about but take equity positions in companies by doing it rather than loan positions, uh, partly because when entrepreneurs fail, and most of them do, um, you if all you have is loan against them, you lose all your 80% of you, say four out of five, lose uh, fail you lose 80 percent of your money and and all you're relying upon is interest on the remaining 20 percent that's not going to cut it but if you can do an equity loan then you might lose 80 percent of the equity uh for the four out of the five that fail but the the 20 percent left might dub, might go up by a factor of six or seven and you make a profit that way um so something that encourages banks to lend but equally uh even that's not perfect by any stretch because um, you know, when you look at venture capital, which is fundamentally what I'm saying is we should let banks become venture capitalists. Uh, of many of the venture capitalists make money either. And a lot of that also is because they often borrow money that they're lending out. It's, 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 it's all very extremely messy. So I, what you've got to say is you, you need to have money creation in such a way that it's likely to get into the hands of entrepreneurs. And I'm actually wondering whether the best way to go about doing that might be to give the public uh, a certain amount of money every year comparable to what... Uh, Positive money is saying the government should do to create money through infrastructure spending and stuff like that. You get the public money that they can only use in putting into venture capital schemes like Patreon, like Kickstarter, like Indiegogo, and if what they fund makes money, then they get a profit out of it. But if they 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 can also equally give the money away, and what you at least get is the money creation is being done there to finance entrepreneurial activity rather than asset bubbles.
0: Mm. A lot of that money is going to find itself to local charities, isn't it? Of course, because people. Yeah, are just- again, that's
1: another way. Give it to a charity. That's, mm. um, you know, give people the possibility money they can't spend, but they can allocate. Mm. And that might be a way to combine the best of both worlds in the sense of still having some private risk taking behavior there, uh, as well as having government money creation solid and, and stayed and steady. And, and banks could be in the middle of all that as a much, much smaller part of the mix, but, By having other ways to create money, it would be less important that they're small parts of the mixes. You know, I think it also need to have uh, develop a system of transactional accounts because part of the reason why we have such a a crisis when a financial crisis hits is that the credit system breaking down causes the transaction system to break down. Now, it's not necessary that they're the same system. You could have credit creation completely independent of transactional accounts, and in that sense, what Japan had with its uh, postal pavings so account system was virtually with a huge percentage of the Japanese population banked in postal accounts. So, even though they had a credit crunch back in 1990 when the bubble economy burst and that had drastic effects on the, the stock market, transactions still continue. Uh, but in the in in the West, particularly in America, when that when that crisis hit, um, um, the um, I just had a message come in that just disturbed me for a second there. Um, when, when the crisis hit in America, most companies were getting their working capital not from bank loans, which used to be the old case when they used to have lines of credit. Uh, the, the banks had pretty much shut down that business because it wasn't profitable enough for them. And instead, corporations like General Motors and Ford and um, um, General Electric and all the major companies were paying wages and, so, and suppliers by issuing what, what are called uh, commercial notes. And and they were, let's say, you might issue a note with a face value of um, $99.50 and redeem it um, six weeks later for 100 giving a, a fairly high rate of interest to whoever buys the note from you. And that's how you got the money to pay your, um, pay your, your wages to your workers, pay suppliers and so on. Now, when the crisis hit, that market... Evaporated, particularly since, in fact, Bear Stearns was made largely in, favor- in control of the market and their collapse eliminated the commercial money market for a short while. Um, you, when you, therefore, you have a breakdown in the credit system, you'll have a breakdown in transactions. Now, if we instituted something like the uh, Japanese postal bank system or we had people being able to have bank accounts at the Bank of England in the UK where those accounts would be a, available for transactions but absolutely no lending could take place um the the money creation mechanism could be separate from the transaction system mm and so, those it's 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 not a simple system to redesign the finance. No, no, system absolutely not.
0: Well, let me let me let me read the the full question from Arjun, just in, in case yeah. you can pick up some points very quickly. Finally, that we we haven't covered. His full question was: Why don't you recommend a full reserve banking system instead of fractional reserve? There will be much uh-huh. less debt in such a system, and a smaller role for the central banks. Economic growth, as defined by GDP. Would suffer somewhat, but we would presumably have more sustainable growth, which would be better for the planet as well. The central bank would probably have to inject some money when the economy grows, as to prevent the money velocity from exploding, perhaps by buying government bonds in such a system. Moreover, it would be easier to introduce a gold standard, keeping citizens safe from monetary erosion. That's his well, again,
1: question. The, again, the gold standard I see is an error of thinking because money has never been a commodity except at times of complete social breakdown when you no longer trusted that the king was going to be living at the end of the battle, you were being a mercenary in a you demanded payment in gold or silver instead. That was pretty much what happened during the 30 years war and the 100 years war in Europe. But fundamentally apart from that, money has always been credit and fiat combined. Yeah. So I don't I go along with the last one at all. Uh, it's just trying to bring in a system... Which has only existed at a period of, of complete social breakdown. I don't think that's a good model. Um, but the, the reason, the reason to say I, I don't want to, I don't completely support going to, uh, full reserve banking from our current credit creation system. It's too big a step because that's what it really is. Yeah. Um, the credit creation system does give banks a volume basis for their profit the full reserve system would not give them that volume basis and you would have an enormous hit on your uh, whole economy because at the moment, whether it's for good or bad, and mainly for bad, the financial sector is possibly four times as big as it should be. And if you did that, went to full reserve banking in one step, then you'd wipe out 75% of the need for the financial sector and there'd be lots of unemployed analysts and lots of empty buildings in the city of London and other financial centres. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing in the long run, Mm. but it'd be one hell of a shock to the economy in the short run. And if you're trying to bring this sort of stuff in, then, of course, the immediate political consequences could be so big it stops the whole proposal.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I wonder if you could do it in stages, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Appreciate that. I think think we've covered this one off enough. And uh, I am slightly the wiser, I have to say, Uh, after starting with a stupid question. Uh, Always good to talk, Steve. We'll see you soon. Okay, mate, bye. Not sure uh, entirely uh, got it all, but uh, a chunk of it anyway. And look, next time, another question from a listener. Alex Howard, uh, one of our Patreon listeners, uh, points to the fact that Steve has often said that uh, deficits are a bad thing. Trade deficits are a bad thing. Uh, Alex points to the uh, views of Warren Mosler and says, can't trade deficits actually be a good thing? Well, we'll have a look and see why not. Next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen, I'm Phil Dobby.